Try Jupiter Organic CBD. It helps relax your mind and body for better and deeper sleep. Jupiter Organic CBD is designed to work like an off button for your daily stress. And no, you will not get high, maybe in your dreams. You can try Jupiter by going to getjupiter.com and using promo code ASMR for 10% off. That's getjupiter.com, promo code ASMR, and enjoy a 10% discount. Hello, my darling. I am so glad that you are back for tonight's reading. Peter Pan, Chapter 2, The Shadow. Mackenzie Darling screamed, and, as if in answer to a bell, the door opened and Nana entered, returning from her evening out. She growled and sprang at the boy, who leapt lightly through the window. Again, Mackenzie Darling screamed, this time in distress for the boy, for she thought he was killed. And she ran down into the street to look for his little body, but it was not there. And she looked up, and into the black night she could see nothing but what she thought was a shooting star. She returned to the nursery and found Nana with something in her mouth. This proved to be the boy's shadow. As he leapt at the window, Nana had closed it quickly, too late to catch him. But his shadow had not had time to get out, and slam went the window and snapped the shadow off. You may be sure Mackenzie Darling examined the shadow carefully, but it was quite the ordinary kind. Nana had no doubt of what was the best thing to do with this shadow. She hung it out at the window, meaning he is sure to come back for it. Let us put it where he can get it easily, without disturbing the children. But unfortunately, Mackenzie Darling could not leave it hanging out the window. It looked so like the washing, and lowered the whole tone of her house. She thought of showing it to Mr. Darling, but he was totting up winter great coats for Michael and John, with a wet towel around his head to keep his brain clear, and it seemed a shame to trouble him with this. Besides, she knew exactly what he would say. It all comes from having a dog for a nurse, after all. Mackenzie Darling decided to roll up the shadow and put it away carefully in a drawer until a fitting opportunity came for telling her husband. This opportunity came about a week later, on that never-to-be-forgotten Friday. Of course, it was a Friday. I ought to have been specially careful on a Friday, she used to say afterwards to her husband while perhaps Nana was on the other side, holding her hand. No, no, Mr. Darling always said. I am responsible for it all. I, George Darling, did it. Mea culpa, mea culpa. The man had a classical education. They sat thus, night after night, recalling that fatal Friday until every detail of it was stamped on their brains and came through on the other side like the faces 
on a band coin. If only I had not accepted that invitation to dine at 27, Mackenzie Darling said. If only I had not poured my medicine into Nana's bowl, Mr. Darling said. If only I had pretended to like the medicine, Nana's wet eyes said to them. My liking for parties, George. My fatal gift of humor, dearest. My touch of trifles, dear master and mistress. Then one or more of them would break down altogether. Nana at the thought. It's true, it's true. They ought not to have a dog for a nurse. Many a time it was Mr. Darling who put the handkerchief to Nana's eyes. That fiend, Mr. Darling would cry, and Nana's bark was the echo of it. But Mackenzie Darling never braided Peter. There was something in the right-hand corner of her mouth that wanted her not to call Peter names. They would sit there in the empty nursery, recalling fondly every smallest detail of that dreadful evening. It begun so uneventfully, so precisely like a hundred other evenings, with Nana putting on the water for Michael's bath and carrying him to it on her back. I won't go to bed, he had shouted, like one who still believed he had the last word on the subject. I won't. I won't, Nana. It isn't six o'clock yet. Oh, dear, I shan't love you any more, Nana. I tell you I won't be bathed. Then Mackenzie Darling had come in, wearing her white evening gown. She had dressed early because Wendy so loved to see her in her evening gown, with the necklace George had given her. She was wearing Wendy's bracelet on her arm. She had asked for the loan of it. Wendy loved to lend her bracelet to her mother. She had found her two older children playing at being herself and father on the occasion of Wendy's birth, and John was saying, I am happy to inform you, Mackenzie, darling, that you are now a mother, in just such a tone as Mr. Darling himself may have used on the real occasion. Wendy had danced with joy, just as the real Mackenzie Darling must have done. Then John was born, with the extra pomp that he conceived due to the birth of a male, and Michael came from his bath to ask to be born also, but John said brutally that they didn't want any more children. Michael had nearly cried at this. Nobody wants me, he said, and of course the lady in the evening dress could not stand that. I do, she said. I so want a third child. Boy or girl? asked Michael, not too hopefully. Boy. Then he leapt into her arms. Such a little thing for Mr. Darling and Mackenzie Darling and Nana to recall now. But not so little if that was to be Michael's last night in the nursery. They go on with their recollections. It was then that I rushed in like a tornado, wasn't it? Mr. Darling would say, scorning himself. And indeed, he had been like a tornado. Perhaps there was some excuse for him. 
He too had been dressing for the party, and all had gone well with him until he came to his tie. It is an astounding thing to have to tell, but this man, though he knew about stocks and shares, had no real mastery of his tie. Sometimes the thing yielded to him without a contest, but there were other occasions when it would have been better for the house if he had swallowed his pride and used an already made-up tie. This was one such occasion. He came rushing into the nursery with the crumpled little brute of a tie in his hand. Why, what is the matter, father dear? Matter, he yelled. He really yelled. This tie, it will not tie. He became dangerously sarcastic. Not round my neck, round the bedpost. Oh yes, twenty times have I made it up around the bedpost. But around my neck? No. This begs to be excused. He thought Mackenzie, darling, was not sufficiently impressed, and he went on sternly. I warn you of this, mother, that unless this tie is around my neck, we don't go out to dinner tonight. And if I don't go out to dinner tonight, I never go to the office again. And if I don't go to the office again, you and I starve, and our children be flung into the streets. Even at this, Mackenzie Darling was practical. Let me try, my dear, she said. And indeed, that was what he had come to ask her to do. And with her nice, cool hands, she tied his tie for him. The children stood around to see their fate decided. Some men would have resented her being able to do it so easily. But Mr. Darling had far too fine a nature for that. He thanked her carelessly. At once he forgot his rage, and in another moment he was dancing around the room with Michael on his back. How wildly we romped, says Mackenzie Darling now, recalling it. Our last romp, Mr. Darling groaned. Oh, George, do you remember Michael suddenly said to me, how did you get to know me, mother? I remember. They were rather sweet, don't you think, George? And they were ours, ours. And now they're gone. The romp had ended with the appearance of Nana, and most unluckily, Mr. Darling collided against her, covering his trousers with hairs. They were not only new trousers, but they were the first he had ever had with a braid on them, and he had to bite his lip to prevent the tears from coming. Of course, Mackenzie Darling brushed him, but he began to talk again about its being a mistake to have a dog as a nurse. George, Nana is a treasure. No doubt that I have an uneasy feeling at times that she looks upon the children as puppies. Oh no, I feel sure she knows they have souls. I wonder, Mr. Darling said thoughtfully. I do wonder. It was an opportunity, his wife felt, for telling him about the boy. At first he shushed her, but he became thoughtful when she showed him the shadow. It is nobody I know, he said, examining it carefully, but it does look like a scoundrel. 
We were still discussing it, you remember, says Mr. Darling. When Nana came in with Michael's medicine, you will never carry the bottle in your mouth again, Nana. And it is all my fault, strong man though he was. There is no doubt that he had behaved rather foolishly over the medicine. If he had a weakness, it was for thinking that all his life he had taken medicine boldly. And so now, when Michael dodged the spoon in Nana's mouth, he said reprovingly, Be a man, Michael. I won't. I will not, Michael cried, naughtily. Mackenzie Darling left the room to get a chocolate for him, and Mr. Darling thought this showed want of firmness. Mother, don't pamper him, he called after her. Michael, when I was your age, I took medicine without a murmur. I said thank you, kind parents, for giving me bottles to make me well. He really thought this was true, and Wendy, who was now in her nightgown, believed it also. She said to encourage Michael, The medicine you sometimes take, Father, it's much nastier, isn't it? Ever so much nastier, Mr. Darling said bravely. And I would take it now as an example to you, Michael, if I hadn't lost my bottle. He had not exactly lost it. He had climbed in the dead of the night to the top of the wardrobe and hidden it there. What he did not know was that the faithful Liza had found it and put it on his washstand. I know where it is, Father, Wendy said, always glad to be of service. I'll bring it to you. And she was off before he could stop her. Immediately, his spirits sank in the strangest way. John, he said, shuddering, it's most beastly stuff. It's that nasty, sticky, sweet kind. It will soon be over, Father, John said cheerily, and then in rushed Wendy with the medicine and the glass. I have been as quick as I could, she panted. You were wonderfully quick, her father retorted. He said this with a vindictive politeness that was quite thrown away upon her. Michael first, he said. Father first, said Michael, who was of a suspicious nature. I shall be sick, you know, Mr. Darling said threateningly. Come on, father, said John. Hold your tongue, John, his father said. Wendy was quite puzzled. I thought you took this quite easily, father. That is not the point. The point is that there is more in my glass than in Michael's spoon. His proud heart was nearly bursting. And it isn't fair. I would say it, though it were my last breath. This isn't fair. Father, I am waiting, said Michael coldly. It's all very well to say you are waiting. So am I waiting. Father's a cowardly custard. So are you a cowardly custard. I'm not frightened. Neither am I frightened. Well then, said Michael, take it. Well then, repeated Mr. Darling, you take it. Wendy suddenly had a splendid idea. Why not take it both at the same time? Certainly, said Mr. Darling. Are you ready, Michael? 
Wendy gave the words, one, two, three, and Michael took his medicine, but Mr. Darling slipped his behind his back. There was a yell of rage from Michael, and then, oh, father, Wendy exclaimed. What do you mean by, oh, father, Mr. Darling demanded. Stop that row, Michael. I meant to take mine, but I missed it. It was dreadful the way all three were looking at him, just as if they did not admire him anymore. Look here, all of you, he said, as soon as Nana had gone to the bathroom. I have just thought of a splendid joke. I shall pour my medicine into Nana's bowl, and she will drink it, thinking it is milk. It was indeed the color of milk, but the children did not have their father's sense of humor. They looked at him sternly as he poured the medicine into Nana's bowl. What fun, he said doubtfully. And they did not dare expose him when Mackenzie Darling and Nana returned. Nana's a good dog, he said, patting her. I have put a little milk into your bowl, Nana. Nana wagged her tail, ran to the medicine, and began lapping it up. Then she gave Mr. Darling such a look. She gazed at him with great, red, angry eyes, in a look that makes us so sorry for noble dogs, and crept into her kennel. Mr. Darling was frightfully ashamed of himself, but he would not give in. In a horrid silence, Mackenzie Darling smelt the bowl. Oh, George, he said, this is your medicine. It was only a joke, he said, while she comforted her boys. Didn't do me much good, he said, my wearing myself to the bone trying to be fun in this house. His voice was bitter. And still Wendy hugged Nana. That's right, he shouted. Coddle her. Nobody coddles me. Oh, dear, no. I am only the breadwinner. Why should I be coddled? Why, why? George, Mackenzie Darling entreated him. Not so loud, the servants will hear you. Somehow they had gotten into the way of calling Liza the servants. Let them, he answered recklessly. Bring in the whole world. But I refuse to allow that dog to lord it into my nursery for an hour longer. The children wept, and Nana ran to him beseechingly, but he waved her away. He felt he was a strong man again. In vain, in vain, he cried. The proper place for you is the yard, and there you go to be tied up this instant. George, George, Mackenzie Darling whispered. Remember what I told you about that boy? Alas, George would not listen. He was determined to show who was master in that house and when commands would not draw Nana from the kennel, he lured her out of it with honeyed words, and seizing her roughly, dragged her from the nursery. He was ashamed of himself, and yet he did it. It was all owing to his over-affectionate nature, which craved for admiration. When he had tied her up into the backyard, the wretched father went and sat in the passage, with his knuckles to his eyes and tears 
on his cheeks. In the meantime, Mackenzie Darling had put the children to bed in silence and lit their night lights. They could hear Nayla barking and John whimpered. It is because he is chaining her up in the yard. But Wendy was wiser. This is not Nana's unhappy bark, she said, little guessing what was about to happen. That is her bark when she smells danger. Danger, said Mackenzie Darling. Are you sure, Wendy? Oh, yes, said Wendy. Mackenzie Darling quivered and went to the window. It was securely fastened. She looked out, and the night was peppered with stars. They were crowding around the house, as if curious to see what was to take place there. But she did not notice this, nor did she notice that one or two of the smaller stars winked at her. Yet a nameless fear clutched at her heart and made her cry. Oh, I wish I wasn't going to that party tonight. Even Michael, already half asleep, knew that she was disturbed, and he asked, can anything harm us, mother, after the night lights are lit? Nothing, precious, she said. They are the eyes a mother leaves behind her to guard her children. She went from bed to bed, singing enchantments over them, and little Michael flung his arms around her. Mother, he cried, I am glad of you. They were the last words she was to hear from him for a long time. Number 27 was only a few yards distant, but there had been a light fall of snow. George and Mackenzie Darling picked their way over the snow, deftly, not to soil their shoes. They were already the only persons in the street, and all of the stars were watching them. Stars are beautiful, but they may not take an active part in anything. They must just look on forever. It is a punishment put on them for something they did so long ago that no star knows what it is. So the older ones have become glassy-eyed and seldom speak. Winking is their star language. But the little ones still wonder. They are not really friendly to Peter, who had a mischievous way of stealing up behind them and trying to blow them out. But they are so fond of fun that they were on his side tonight and anxious to get the grown-ups out of the way. So as soon as the door of 27 closed on Mr. and Mackenzie Darling, there was a commotion in the firmament, and the smallest of all the stars in the Milky Way screamed out, Now, Peter! Do it now, 